Hey everyone, Cave Dan here for the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tuesday, November 8th is election day in the United States. If you're in the US, this is your friendly reminder to get out there and cast your vote. Maybe you already voted, or already made plans to. If that's the case, congratulations, you are awesome. Why not check on your people today? Check on your parents. Check on your friends. A gentle reminder can go a long way, and voting in these midterms is one of the most important things you can do. So go take care of that, and then come back here, because we've got a great show for you coming up. You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part one of our Brewer's Guide to the Brothers War, with a look at every card that's fit to brew in Modern and Pioneer. This set is full of hidden gems, but which two-drop will be crowned the best card in the set? Find out today on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you live from the Twin Cities, and I am joined by my man south of the border. He is Mordekaiser. Mord, what's going on, my man? Hey, all. All great. How are you? How's it going, David? All good? Surviving, surviving. And we are, of course, joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is the Lodestar. He's the man of the hour. Coming to us from an undisclosed location in the Middle East, he is Daniel Schriever. What's going on? Hey, I'm doing great, David. I am pretty freaking tired. A, it is super late here. It's Jerusalem after dark. And B, I just got back from like a, a week in the wilderness. I crossed over into Jordan where they have some amazing deserts. And there's a place called Petra, which is like a city built inside of a canyon. And I've just been like hiking nonstop for four days. Came back and there's an entire set spoiled. It's all coming up, Shriver, it sounds like. <laughs> the spoiler started firing up with all, all cylinders, and it seems we will have a blast. Yeah, I was like pretty happy to be like unplugged for a few days. Uh, so you're going to get some fresh takes from me. I have not really processed any of these cards. Yeah, it's good to step away. I think just in general, right? Like Just being away from your computer is really important. We do it so infrequently. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really positive thing. You don't have to hike. <laughs> in uh, mythical cities in uh, Jordan, but you know whatever uh, trips you trigger, I highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But as you gentlemen have mentioned, the entire spoiler is out, so we are going to go over cards of interest today. Before we get to that, just a quick housekeeping note: we want to give a shout out to everybody on our Patreon. So if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us, please go to Patreon.com/slash/FaithlessBrewing. Join at whatever level you feel comfortable doing. That is the best way to support the show. You get access to the Discord, and uh, you can get other fun perks. In fact, you would get a bunch of hot takes on the cards we're about to discuss today. Exactly. I have I have spent the better part of the last 15 minutes negotiating about hostile negotiation. <laughs> yeah. And some of the cards here are just ready for full-on debate. 
Yeah, Discord is always popping off during preview season, and it's a great way to <laughs> debate more than to an argument. I'm super easy to aid in your arguments. That's the worst part. So we've, as spoilers have trickled out, if people want to listen to past episodes, they can hear uh, some of our takes, especially from you gentlemen, on a few of the cards spoiled. But the vast majority of the set has been spoiled in the last, I don't know, week and a half. We've got most of them highlighted. As usual, Dan has them organized from lowest casting cost to highest casting cost. I do think this is a good way to think about the set because cards are heavily... Uh, privileged, right? When they don't cost a lot of mana, they're not asking much of you. They don't have to give you as much. So let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, sir. We have gotten all the cards organized as Dan Desires from zero to a million mana cost in this particular set. Well, let me just say, because I know there's some skeptics here, such as Mord, about this organizational scheme, but like they came out with a lot of mythics pretty quick. And like a lot of them are these big war machines. They cost literally a million mana. And they're all the mythics, right? The brothers Urza and Mishra coming out with these giant constructs. All of them are terrible. I read all these cards, and after reading all of them, I was like, okay, so where are the playables here? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll correct me when we get to them. But I feel like the gems are the ones that are like, okay, a couple comments here or there that cost one or two. We should start at 2CMC then. Like, all the playables are always at 2CMC. Or one CMC, but we're going to start at zero, as is our custom. We're going to start at Lance, <laughs> like I just said. We're not going to deviate in any way. We're going to follow the goddamn sheet from the top of the sheet, and we're going to scroll down. <laughs> we are not doing what you're and saying. I'm in charge of this podcast. Have... <laughs> now that David has taken control after a hostile takeover, we're going to respond First to card, Fortified Beachhead, land. <laughs> <laughs> As Fortified Beachhead enters the battlefield, you may reveal a soldier card from your hand. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you reveal the soldier card. Or you control a soldier as you play this land. It taps for white or blue, and five mana tap soldiers you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So this is a, the most powerful tribal land they've ever printed. Is that a fair statement? No. What? I think there's a sliver land that does the same thing. Sliverland makes one once for five mana. Vampire one makes blood for two. And it's, and it's apps for rainbow for slivers, right? Yeah, yeah. I, see, I think the elemental one might, might, might be the, the... Sorry, the slivers one might be the strongest one. But yeah, this is particularly good. Okay, the reason this is not as strong as those... One, you are correct that like five and tap for some bonus is standard on tribal lands, but this only taps for blue and white. Whereas the soldier deck, if there is one, I think would be more likely to be five color... I mean, they're kind of forcing you to play a blue-white soldiers here with Fortify Beachhead. And, you know, that is supported in this particular set. But I think in order to compete in a format like Pioneer or Modern, you're going to have to choose from the full range of soldiers. Yeah, it's a fair point. I guess to me, soldiers, unlike like humans um, or slivers, don't go to all five colors. There are very few red or black soldiers. Now, there have not historically been a lot of blue soldiers. That's something that they've kind of leaned into in this set. In general, I think this land is very powerful, but I don't think there's a, enough soldiers that I'd really want to do a soldier deck in, in either format. The success of this land won't depend on its quality, but rather if the mono-white pioneer deck is supposed to go with Sosorius. I mean, I saw three soldiers previewed in Brothers War that were tempting me, so I'll at least assemble the deck. Yeah, it's only 12 cards, though. we we got <laughs> to find another 24 soldiers here. I mean, a lot of the mono-white creatures are already soldiers. Yeah. Thraven Inspector is a soldier, which is very important. 
Oh. That's the best soldier. <laughs> so they have, Sutena, they have Sutena, a chance. They have a chance. Talia and Thalia Sutenant are soldiers. Really? Okay. Which is super important. But Lieutenant only pumps humans. Yeah. All, all humans are soldiers. Sorry, the other way around. All soldiers, they said, are humans. <laughs> okay. All right, so if for some reason you're done with human synergies, you want the very similar but slightly overcosted soldier abilities, you can maybe <laughs> transition to... A worse tribe. But yeah, the success of this land will depend on if the blue splash ends up being worth it or not, and that's for David to decide in a few weeks. It's not gonna be worth it. Also, humans are just randomly on every plane, so you just you know, you just get incidental humans as they, you know, just yeah, yeah. random sets. There won't be soldiers necessarily in you know, the last several sets that don't have that many soldiers. Magic is a soldier is a human producing machine. It's all soldiers. Okay, moving beyond lands into the one-drop category, Haywire Might. Dan, tell me about this card. Haywire Might. Artifact for one generic mana. A 1-1 insect. When Haywire Might dies, you gain two life. Activated ability. Pay a green and sacrifice Haywire Might to exile target non-creature artifact or non-creature enchantment. So... I'm not attacking the power level of the set, but rather suggesting this is more powerful than people assume and might say this is the best card in the set. Wait, what are you are you dissing the Haywire Might or are you dissing the set? Because I think the Might is good. No, no, neither. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying Might is amazing. Yes. Rather than good and set is good. Yeah, best card in the set seems strong to me. <laughs> I mean, it's the card that is clearly better than any previous version of its effect. Like, it's just cheaper. It's the cheapest Kosali Pride Mage we've seen. It's an artifact, so it works with Urza's Saga. You can put it in your Karn wishboard, and Karn is currently dominating in a mono green deck already. We're entering a Leyline Binding meta in multiple formats, so getting another playable disenchant effect is going to make a difference. Like, what I was considering all day is how hard is it for Hammer to play a green Shockland just to splash this? as a way to get rid of Leyland Bindings. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, non-creature artifact or enchantment does matter, uh, especially because you have a, you have flipped enchantments, right? It can't kill those in a way that Kasali Pride Major or whatever can. True. You can't kill Fable. You can't kill Esper Sentinel. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, I think it's... I, I, I agree. I think it is the best of its class, but it's not... Strictly better, or whatever the verbiage would be. The the fact that it's tutor bowl by Saga, like Saga, it's just a terrible yeah. card for them to have printed. It just warps every one mana artifact, and you know, makes it a lot better than it should. Yeah, exactly. Also, um, podcast favorite incidental life gain. Yeah, like two mana is, or two life is not nothing. <laughs> yeah, why does it get me two life? Like I get my one for one for two mana, or I get my one one dude, and then I. Also, this is the first way I have seen a lot of decks being able to deal with Caldra Complete without going insane. Oh, it's an exile effect. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it's crazy. It exiles. Yeah, it's okay. so much better than... Like, it ignores Welding Shar. And you're like, oh, it doesn't kill Eidolon, because Eidolon's a creature. It's like, well, it gives you two life when it chump blocks Eidolon, so that's pretty it good. It destroys <laughs> Priest on Tron because it ignores Spellskite and Welding Shar. <laughs> it goes through all there your you defenses. <laughs> Tough break for Prison Tron. <laughs> Prison Tron in shambles. <laughs> it ignores the Spellskite, the Welding Shard, and it just goes straight for your Snaring Reach. 
So this is a card that I, I think we'll see play. Haywire might. I think we're all in agreement there. What about this next yeah. one here? Teething Wormlet. Another one drop. It's a single green creature worm. 1-1. One, one. Teething Wormlet has death touch as long as you control three or more artifacts. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. If this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn, you also put a plus one plus one counter on Teething Wormlet. So you can grow this once on your turn, once on their turn if you're somehow generating artifacts. But you can potentially go infinite as well. The, the life gain is not bounded. The fact that life gain isn't bound is particularly huge for some combos. I really like the card. I'm not sure if it's good enough. Like, it's clearly good. It's an interesting card. The art is super cute. The art is super cute, yes. <laughs> Which is always a plus one. Like, all of a side goes from a six to a seven. So it's not asking for much, right? It's saying, okay, just invest one mana in this creature and play some artifacts, and you can get a large creature. You can also get a bunch of life. And that's, like, really attractive. I mean, the barrier is so low to make this work. But the question is... Are you getting rewarded enough for building your deck around this? I'm not sure about that because it's just dies to removal, for example. But if you already have a deck that meets its conditions, this is a nice threat. And yeah, maybe there's some combo potential. And I mean, dies to removal is not as meaningful with a one drop, right? I mean, <laughs> they're going to trade exactly at the mana cost or they're going to pay more mana. Yeah, that, that's true. It reminds me of Automaton, right? Of the two mana one. Like this plus that plus the future Celestia card we're going to talk about might give scales a sort of life in Pioneer. Yeah, I wish there were more playable zero mana artifacts like Modern had to go with this type of card. There aren't that many artifacts you actually want to play, so you might not trigger it very often. Well, that's what I meant about like, okay, if you build your deck around this with a bunch of like really bad artifacts, like zero mana artifacts, then you do kind of do need it to survive. But if you don't need it to survive, then sure, it's like a great addition to the team. Yeah, and you know, obviously White already has a card that has a similar text to this, the two mana one one that looks at your top four for an artifact. Uh, we know that, you know, that card has seen some modern play. You can create artifacts in your opponent's turn with Urza Saga, so you can get that trigger twice, which, you know, that ends up adding up very quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly like what home this would have in, in either format, but it, like Dan was saying, it's so cheap uh, and it scales pretty well. It, it seems like it's at least worth looking at. And, and it's whether super it efficient. Be strong enough. Yeah, exactly. It's the one CMC that like any card that requires support has to be super cheap for it to be worth. And the fact is just one CMC and immediately can gain the counter on and the life gain makes it so much attractive from a real perspective. And before we leave this card, speaking of combos, I, I do have a turn two kill with Teething Wormlet in Pioneer. Oh, here we go. So, Break it down. Well, it requires another card that we're going to get to in a little bit, so I'll just okay. sneak through. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to not skip Lay Down Arms because I think this card is actually not terrible. I'm talking about the white, very bad Sword to Plosures. So one white mana sorcery exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. I don't think this card is bad at all. It works super similarly to prismatic endings in its play pattern with the downside of fully targeting creatures. What format are we talking about when you say this, Mord? Well, if you're saying prismatic, it must be modern. Bad modern decks and Lord of Pioneer and 
The problem is you don't have many pioneer deck playing basic planes. Yeah, that's the thing. To to meet the mana cost of this, you need to be playing modern so you can have the fetch trial mana base. And in modern, the removal is so awesome. This just seems like it's fine. It's, I, I agree. It's not like a horrific card. You're just white has amazing no. removal now. So what are you playing this over? Yeah, but white does actually white has great removal as long as you're not playing white as your main color. Like if you're playing like the Asodius Emeria list or any mono white list or anything like that space white, this is a lot better than anything else. Well, just, just to clarify, just to clarify, the card Oust exists in Modern, and that card has had its day, it's just not good enough. So I think Oust is way better than this, so I would only consider this for Pioneer. Really? Yeah, Oust is unconditional, it's the same three life. I mean, Lay Down Arms requires all this weird land stuff going on. It's just too much work. Why not just play Oust? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It seems at least attractive to look at, but maybe I might be wrong. But yeah, below that, we can go to Rancor at home. <laughs> yeah, a little throwback to Rancor. So this is Audacity, which is green, an aura enchantment, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus oh, and trample, very important. And when Audacity is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. So, of course, Rancor replaced itself back in your hand with a Rancor. This time, you get to draw anything. You could, you don't know what the card's going to be. It could even be... You can even draw Rancor. You can even draw Rancor, exactly. Uh, this is huge for Boggles. A, it makes it much more resistant to sweepers. B, it... Uh, trample is a super relevant ability that... Super efficient Trample. Yes, exactly. So, in Pioneer... The trample is needed, and the problem is that there aren't as many bogles as you would like. I think there's only one one drop, and that Liliana just got printed, although she does not see very much play. So I could see this in like a white-green list with the uh, the two mana, various two mana legends that pay you off for the auras. Uh, this is just an awesome card in, in that show. And the fox. Yeah. Yeah, I like this card. I love that the flare text is like super reminiscent of Franco as well. Hated outlives the hateful, bravery outlives the brave. Perfect. Beautiful design. All right, not much more to say about that one. Uh, the next card is Bushwhack. This is green sorcery. Choose one. Search your library for a basic land card. Reveal it, put it into your hand. Or target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. So in a tune with Aether kind of effect that you've highlighted, Dan, but the, the optionality in this card is so good, right? On turn one, it can find a land. On turn four, it can be a very efficient removal spell if your deck has creatures that can survive fighting. So I think that you have to assume this is part of your mana base, and that means you have to be a deck that's like satisfied casting a Traverse the Ovenwald or an Attune the Aether. So you can't be like the world's fastest beatdown deck because you're just not going to want to spend mana on pulling a basic land up. Unless you want to consider this a removal spell that's pre like a monogreen aggro that's using this as a way to find land ops when needed, but it's like super aggressive and consider this a removal spell and half a land, and it plays like 16 lands. The problem is that the best version of the aggro deck needs to be like playing untapped lands all the time. The Taking the mana off to find your land is a huge downside, right? Like not playing mana elf or one of the evolved creatures on turn one. Uh, or not playing something that evolves your two drop or your three drop from your mana off on turn two in Pioneer, especially is a huge, huge downside. Yeah, what I was wondering is something like actually plays enough lands to hit your second land drop consistently and struggles with your third, so like 16, 17, considering four of these for your third or fourth turn. 
It's possible. The thing is, like, aggro decks don't want that much removal mm. normally, right? Like, I think of this as more of like a black green deck that's playing 24 lands instead of like 25. Mm -hmm. And this is a card that works really well with like Shieldred, which has a big butt, fighting kills everything, and then this finds yeah. your swamp or your forest early. Um, you know, as a one as a one or two of in like a black green mid-range, this card seems very, very well positioned. Yeah, that makes sense to me. A nice new option to have. But yeah, interesting card. It's like the new sort of traverse, like the versatile early land, late game threat. Yeah. All right, from Bushwhack, we now go to one of the all-time greats, a true legend from the past. It's Ashnod, Flesh Mechanist. Black, legendary creature, human artificer for 1-1 one, one Death Touch. Whenever Ashnod, Flesh Mechanist attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, create a tapped Power Stone token. Also, activated ability, 5, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a tapped 3-3 three, three colorless zombie artifact creature token. Now, before we can assess Ashnod properly, we need to settle something. And it has to do with this weird Power Stone mechanic. I mean, we've seen these before, but you've probably never actually had one in play, I'm guessing. We're going to war this early. You're, you're starting war with David this early in the episode, I mean, but... Well, I don't know if it's war so much. <laughs> I don't even know if we disagree that much. Uh, actually, I do know that <laughs> we disagree. I do know you disagree. <laughs> You think, like, we disagree so completely on this topic. I'm in a middle ground between you two, and I'm, like, an extremely far away from both at the same time. So I can only imagine <laughs> what's your... Like, I'm so far away from both, I can only imagine how far away you two are. <laughs> well, I like that this card is... I think this card is really well designed. Oh, yeah. Because the Power Stone is not very useful, but it tries to give you a use for it, right? You have a mana sync ability on Ashnod ostensibly on the creatures you're sacrificing to use, let's say you sack two creatures, those power stone tokens have a use built right into the card that's creating them. So I like that kind of design where it's... 1-1 one, one death touch? Yeah. There you so it attacks pretty efficiently. Like it, it's not going to die in combat at least without getting something. So it's not like you're just going to lose it on like... Like if this was just a 1-1 one, one or a 2-1, one, once your opponent plays a 2-3, it's dead, right? It's never attacking again. So that's super nice. So the, the issue at bar is how good is a power stone? And I think last set when we were talking about Karn Living Legacy, I predicted that it would turn out to be like almost as good as Rampant Growth. A power stone, it taps for a generic mana and not a generic mana. It taps for a colorless mana, but you can't use that mana to cast non-artifact spells. You can use it on artifacts. You can use it on activated abilities. So I say it's 60% of a land. Dan says it's a land. I say it's 60% of a land. David says it's like 4% of a permanent. <laughs> well, you know, this definitely seems like the limited mechanic of the set. They've got a bunch of big, expensive, colorless artifact spells that Dan was complaining about earlier not being playable. <laughs> this is the way for them to make them playable in standard or limited, specifically limited, is you have all these free power stones lying around that help you cast these big, uh, clunky artifacts. But for constructed, I mean... Isn't the ability to generate a bunch of artifacts that in turn generate mana, like, isn't that something exciting? Like, shouldn't that be a valuable token? It should be. I mean, what artifact deck are we talking about here? We've, we never talk about brewing, like, artifact decks or artifacts that cost four or five or six mana. Uh, and ramping later in the game is a very weak ability, right? That at four mana, you can get all kinds of ramping. That's why Karn was wildly unplayable, as I guaranteed when it was spoiled. Uh, this is interesting because it can start ramping very cheaply. 
If you have, for instance, like there's that one in a green, two one, when it dies, you get to like a Sakura Tribe Elder ability. So if you just play this, play that, sack it, right? Now you've like double ramped. That's kind of an interesting thing to me. You just, you run into that like 50% of your deck does one thing or another. This wants a lot of bodies to sacrifice for it to be effective. And then it wants artifact or, or outlet effects to make use of all the power stones you're allegedly creating. The natural deck that exists in, in uh, Pioneer right now, the red-black sack deck, where this would fit very well, it already has multiple effects that steal your opponent's creatures, does not have that much use for the Power Stone. Hmm. Maybe not yet, but I mean, I feel like once you've assembled all your cards that deal with sacrificing and generating game objects, you'll find enough uses for the Power Stone. And maybe it's not black-red, maybe it's like black-green or something. Maybe there's a cat oven involved. I'm not sure. Maybe it's unlucky witnesses involved. Maybe it's shambling guests. Ashton is an interesting piece of the puzzle. It's like, okay, it's a, it's a fast sacrifice outlet, but it's going to die. But that's okay. You just play four of them. Yeah, it's a super cool card. Th this card is cool. The, the power stone part of it doesn't matter to me at all. Like, <laughs> okay. I'm interested in just as a free sack effect. Okay. And then fine, maybe the power stone activates Ashton once or like a blood token once. Or like sacks of food, or you you're playing the red black uh, artifact that sacks other artifacts, right? It's the power stone goes to the graveyard where it always should have been, uh, and you get a life <laughs> and a one one, an actual useful token. Hmm. So yeah, super cool card. Whether it has a home or not yeah. is interesting, but th th this I love this design. Yeah, mock summary enabler as well, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another card for Mox Amber to not be very good in. <laughs> Exactly. So following Ashnor, we have Goblin Blast Runner. One red mana, one two. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, it gains plus two plus menace only once each turn. So a three two menace. Are we interested in that? Assuming we can get this consistently, so modern. Someone compared this in our Discord to Red Toolcraft Exemplar. I don't know if that's a fair comparison. Yeah, that's interesting. That's fair. Both are unplayable in modern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, the sack effect is much easier to get in modern because you have yeah. fetch lands. But modern is, you know, much higher powered. So a 3-2 menace on one is not uh, everything you want it to be. I mean, it has a better tribe than Toolcraft Exemplar or One Le Cattle or whatever card we're thinking of that is not good. It's a goblin. However, goblins are usually not sacrifice decks. But they, they could and be. And they are typically not fetch shock decks, for, for that matter. Hmm. Okay. But it is, like, on rate, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. Like, a 3-2 menace is much better than Wild Nakatl, right? You still get to attack with that much later in the game. It's just, like, what else are you putting around it? All right, quickly, we have another one-drop combat courier. 1-1 one, one construct for one generic mana. It has activated ability, sacrifice combat courier, draw a card. They should have given this the type clue. I felt like that would have been appropriate, but they, they did not. They're cowards. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not the best part of the card, though. The interesting part for me is this, that it has unearth for a single blue. You can unearth the combat courier for one blue to do it again if you want to draw another card. So if this card had been printed literally a few days ago... I would have said this is likely one of the best ways to get a two for one when you get look for or something with Rusa Saga. But they printed the map, which is this but better. 
And I like it a lot more. Yeah, I don't really like it as a card draw effect. I just like it as a cheap way to unearth things. Like, that's always interesting to me. I haven't actually figured out where it fits yet, but okay. I just want to make a note that this is a useful tool to have. Yeah, it's a nice card. Nice design. Sim- simple, efficient, and the name reminiscing of the other creature that sacrificed itself to draw cards. What can I say? <laughs> All right, moving on. Does anyone want to make a case for Mishra's command? Uh, Micromancer in Pioneer, if we ever go Grixis, uh, nothing else. But I'm going to say that for literally every one mana cost card I ever see. Micromancer would never play this. <laughs> this, is, this is not a card. No, no, The, it's the not. commands are weirdly weak in this set. It's very reminiscent of uh, the last cycle. I don't know what's going on. There's only one even close to playable. Okay, so you don't believe in Mishra's Command. You think it's just too expensive. The only way you can see this is in a really shanky heroic build because it triggers two heroics while giving haste to one of the creatures for one mana, so for two mana. You go like ping one plus O plus haste the other, plus one plus haste. So the card is X and a red sorcery, choose two, and the modes are X damage to a creature, X damage to a planeswalker, Target creature gets plus X plus O and gains haste until end of turn. And the last one is a loot ability. Choose a player, they discard up to X cards, then they draw for each card they discarded. And these modes are honestly not that bad. I think we have to face the fact that Mishra sucks, and uh, everything related with Mishra sucks. Like, so Urza is the cool brother. Urza is always the cool brother. Mishra's the black sheep, man. <laughs> so this set told me two things about the lore. A... Ashnod ended up being part of the good guys. B, there's no good guys. So three <laughs> things. And C, I thought the forest and Titania were supporting Ursa, not that both sides were plundering the land for resources and were at war with it. It was like a third party. Yeah, this is sort of like a critique of the rapaciousness of capitalism, which I support. Of course, we can go for some deep analysis in how Brothers War is against capitalism. Please, David, go on. How has the nature suffered the causes? Titania is really like a metaphor for global warming. See? <laughs> <laughs> Look at her rising up against us. Exactly. Or like uh, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go for the common that has been called probably the best card in the set by David. I love this card. Oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> uh, how- how do, how do you say it? Falaji? Is it Falaji, archaeologist? I think it is, yeah. I think it's Falaji. One in a blue for a human scout, 03, the perfect power and toughness. <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You may put a non-creature, non-land card from among the cards milled this way into your hand if you don't put a plus one, plus one counter on the archaeologist. Best Ogre of Bolas ever printed. So this hits non-creatures, which Ogre of Bolas only hit instants or sorceries. Um, it also mills in a format with Delve. Uh, this card just seems insane to me. It seems awesome in, like, Narset, Days Undoing, which people have started to pick up again. It seems awesome with Fires, Urian. Uh, it seems awesome in just generic Delve decks. I I love everything about this card. It's a human, I guess, if you care about that. The fact that it gets Fable on Curve... It, for me, it's really good. I hear what you're saying. I, I like the way you're thinking. I'm a little bit concerned that milling three cards is not enough to guarantee a hit. Doesn't hit lands, right? Yeah, I agree with that, right? We, you and I have missed on an auger a lot of times in our lifetime, Dan. <laughs> we've, we've learned the lesson. You're less likely to miss, though, because you can sneak in a few extra cards. 
We have MDFCs to increase our density. And if it misses, it's a 1-4 instead of an auger bolts being a 1-3. So like even the fail case, it's still better than auger. Mm, that's true. Auger is always 3, right? No, auger is 4. No, auger is a 1-3 that looks at 3. But th it doesn't put them in the graveyard. Yeah, auger looked at exactly 3. It's always better than auger. But let's look at something like Enigmatic. Like if I color, how many hits does Enigmatic have? So it's 31 hits in 80. Like how it's currently built. Yeah, I don't love that number. I don't know if it's as good in Enigmatic because you have to play so many creature tutors. But I think in like a more generic fires build, you could make the number glorious. Yeah, but even in Enigmatic, it's borderline 80%. Yeah, that makes me nervous. I don't like 80%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's like just straight out of the box, I like it. Like, if we look at something like a Sodius Control, assuming you're playing a placer of this as your only non-creature, that puts you up to 30. So, 60, 30. You go up to something like... Let me check. Yeah, now you have a nice number. Now it's up to like 92%. Like as long as you yeah, build your deck you around this, it's super good. So David, since you're the highest on this card among us, are you envisioning that you just cast this once, it becomes a chump blocker, it gives you some resources, like a card in your hand plus some fodder in the graveyard? Like, is that enough to build yeah. around this card? Or yes. is it like you have yes, to like start exactly. blinking this yep. or you're trying to do this more than once? Well, I think this is awesome in Fire's decks. So I think it's awesome with your Iron specifically. Like you have this effect. And Fable. Yeah. It, it, it finds Fable. It finds uh, Narsa. So it finds Planeswalkers that the other effect didn't. It blocks for the Planeswalkers. That's another important thing. And then your Iron blinks whatever, your Narset and this. And you just like refill your hand again. I think this is just like a blue-red mid-range Urian Fire's list. This is going to be awesome in that. Or like a blue-black... Narsa Days Undoing list or uh, a blue white. Uh, we don't have like good blink effects, unfortunately. Like if Restoration Angel got printed into this for into Pioneer. Oh man, <laughs> just imagine that world. Pioneer doesn't really doesn't have decent blink effects. No, it's tough. Super hard to blink stuff in Pioneer. And then the Dell, like it's putting cards in your graveyard. It's insane. It's it's awesome in like God Pharaoh's Gift type of decks. What that's a, that's an amazing card in there. It grabs. Treasure Cruise while milling two cards. There it is. It does everything. Well, there you have it. We just started the two drops and we've already found the best card in the set, it seems. <laughs> That's Phalogy Archaeologist. <laughs> Keep an eye on this one. So, after the best card in the set, let's talk about the best two-mana removal in the format. Pioneer, of course. Go for the throat. Yeah, reprinted uh, from a previous artifact set, but destroy target non-artifact creature. If Dan is correct that all these artifacts are unplayable, and I think he probably is, then there aren't that many artifact creatures to kill. The only card you're really going to ever feel bad about is when they um, crew up their chariot. But mm. other than that, this kills everything. I think it's better than every other two-mana option in general. Obviously, you can always imagine the corner case. I think it's better than Abrupt Decay. It's much better than Dreadbore. Um, I, I think this is the best two-mana removal spell in, in the format. And it's mono black. Black got a ton of cards in this set. They're all like only like marginal upgrades, but they're all very good. Yeah, they got a lot of tiny upgrades, which is great. Like that's the best sort of card for me, right? Like the tiny upgrade, a non-strictly better card. 
But in general, like, eh, removal being a little better, that doesn't really get the heart racing, you know? True. Nah. Just efficient way to kill Grisfang without revolt. All right, what's next? So from there, we go down to top term mechanic. Lot of case for a corner case playable. Two mana, two, one human artificer, one a blue. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a counter on it, and when it dies, make a 1-1 one, one Thopter with flying. So there's lots of text on this card, which Dan has taught us on cheap cards, makes them possibly playable. I think that like building your deck around drawing a second card is not very good, but it's very easy to do, to just have ancillary things. So if you think of this as like a 3-2 that they have to kill, that you're left with a 1-1 one, one flying creature... Is that good enough? I, I don't know. It, it, you're getting a lot of value, but I, maybe that's just not what Pioneer's about anymore. So it reminded me of the afterlife mechanic from a few years back where various creatures just gave you random 1-1 flyers when they died. And that was like a nice bonus. It was great and limited. It was, you know, felt like you're getting value, but they just never made the cut in Constructed because Constructed is not usually decided by bonus 1-1 flyers. I mean, those creatures were super understarted. Like, they had a... One of the best ones was a 2-mana, two 2-1 two afterlife. Without... Like, literally this card without the plus one, plus one counter synergies. Like, I think it was literally this card in white. I mean, it was in Orsob, even. No, it had, like, a taxing effect. Like, spells on your turn cost one more for yeah, your opponents yeah. to play, or or if they target, I can't remember. Tithaker, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think that's a fair point. This is quite close to that card. That card saw no play in Pioneer, right? Ever. I've played against it a few times and just dominated my opponent. Is the extra text worth anything? I don't know. It forces your opponent to kill us eventually. It is easy to draw two cards a turn, you know, on every turn yeah. of yours. So if you think of this as like a two mana three t- that attacks as a three two that gives you something back. But they're really that's not really how we build our aggro decks. And maybe... Shredder is just so much better at two. You don't even need this card. Maybe this is fine with Shredder. Uh, I don't know. You know what card I always wished to play and I never was able slash had the balls for? Shulrael. Oh, yeah. I made a bunch of Shulrael decks. All right. I was going to skip this next card, but Dan kind of likes it. So, Dan, break down Zephyr Sentinel. All right. We got that Soldier Tribal deck coming right up. Zephyr Sentinel. (laughs) It's happening. It's blue. One in a blue <laughs> creature, human soldier. 2-1 flash flying. When Zephyr Sentinel enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature you control to its owner's hand. If it was a soldier, the Zephyr Sentinel gets a plus one, plus one counter. So the stats and the flash remind you a little bit of Rattle Chains. It's got that rescuing effect. However, that's a pretty tempo negative play compared to Rattle Chains, which is extremely tempo positive. Right, not only protecting your board and giving you the ability to play future stuff at instant speed. So it's not an exact comparison. However, I think that this might be good enough, and especially if, if there's like a soldier you want that has an ETB effect, Zephyr Sentinel just lets you rebuy it whenever you want. Um, I think that one of the soldiers in this set is like a four mana with a good ETB that like generates tokens. I haven't done the full search of soldiers yet to see if there's more like that. Thraben Inspector. Oh, okay, well, Thraben there you Inspector. go. Thraben Inspector. <laughs> that opening specifically makes me interested. I don't know of any other interaction I've seen yet, yet, that does it for me. But if you told me I could open up with that every game, then I'm in. A two mana, three, two, that just makes another. Every game whatever. I can go. Planes, Thraven Inspector, turn two, have my Thraven Inspector on board so I can play my untapped, deserted, 45 beach head. Yep. 
Attack with my Thraven and step play this, bounce my Thraven, get a 3 2 flyer. I mean, yeah. Oh, and I misspoke. You, you can bounce any creature, it doesn't have to be a soldier. You just only. Yeah, get... no, it's a 2 mana bounce. Okay. It's better if soldier. Humble defector, Dan? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> no. Not a soldier, stop. I checked. <laughs> stop right there. But, like, let's say you decide to, like, put Reflector Mage in your deck or something. This, this bounces that. I mean, why not? Yeah. So, I, I think it might, be, sure. it might be good enough. If soldiers is a deck. I think it's interesting. So after that, a card that surprised me on its flavor. Was I the only one? Feldon Ronom Excavator? That was strange. I mean, this is a, I thought this guy was just like a weak little scholar archaeologist guy. Like a, me too. Like a romantic. But he's like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he's super yeah. aggro. He has haste and he doesn't even block. So Chumana Tutu... Feldom, Ronom Excavator, one and a red for a human, legendary creature, human artificer, haste, can't block, and whenever it is dealt damage, exile that many cards from the top of your library. Choose one until the end of your next turn, you may play that card. They have been really, um, what's a, I'm missing a word. Like, they have been non-punishing with the until the end of your next turn clauses with a lot of cards lately. That used to be played this turn, they have evolved into allowing you to get them on your opponent's turn and play them on yours. Yeah, because uh, the first version was seeing zero play. <laughs> Just so, so yeah, easy yeah, exactly. to play around that. Kill it at the end of you know their turn or something. And it's like, all right, well. I think this card's actually pretty good. <laughs> so 2-2 two, two haste for two, you like that? In general, I think, I think that's pretty mediocre, but we already have a red-green deck that's trying to... Um, Play the 2-2 that puts a red and a green into your pool. So this is another card that takes advantage of that. That deck also um, is playing the uh, double strike equipment that comes down if you have a bunch of attackers. And one of the ways you deal with that deck is you play like cheap sweepers, like Anger of the Gods or something. Like Feldon getting blocked by whatever, Shieldred or something. And then you get to just look at your top four to find whatever the thing is you need to finish them off. Just seems like it's really hard for mid-range decks, which would typically be the decks that would play a blocker or use some damage-based effect to stop this card from killing them. Uh, it just yeah. feels like if you only need to find like the one card, you're going to end up getting like, to look at your top four, maybe your top five. I mean, depending on what kind of damage effect we're talking about. Like you, you, they block this with their Bone Crusher that they played. And now I get to look at my top four. That just seems really good to me. Obviously bad against Fatal Push, but like, you know, a 2-2 two -two yeah. haste is not, it's it's not good. It's but bad, it's not. but it's, it's bad. Like, 2-2 two -two haste is bad nowadays. Like, a card needs to do so much more. And I take it on your, I, and I'm on your side. Forcing your opponent to chump this, like, to block this with a shield is great upside. My fear is it's just getting pushed and me using two mana or nothing. Is there a way to, like, ping this as well? I couldn't, like, find an efficient way to do it. Like, a Planeswalker that just, like, does one to everything in play or something like this? Like, all creatures? Not even Kumba switches. <laughs> but that would be cool. Like, then this turns into this crazy card advantage engine. No, no, it just dies. But again, it's so cheap. Yeah, I hope. I mean, then, then no we shouldn't talk about any creature with a common to play ability if we're just going to say it just dies. <laughs> Except for... You know, I mean, come on. It's two mana. I can't think of any pingers that are relevant for that right now, but that is an interesting line to keep an eye out for. All right. This is a card that both Mort and I highlighted as the Dan Schreiber special of yeah. the new set. 
it involves like cards moving to a lot of zones. It involves like accumulating value multiple times over the course of multiple turns. Dan, tell us about Storm the Steel Seeker, and then tell us if you agree with our assessment that this is a card that you like. I do agree with the assessment. This would be like the Cave Dan card of the set, but there's actually another one they they just spoiled like 20 minutes ago that took Okay, so this is Cave Dan 1B. We will get to Cave Dan 1A, is what you're saying. Well, this is is 1B. Yeah, this is uh, Miss Congeniality. (laughs) Oh, I know what is Cave Dan 1A. Okay, got it. Serenth Steelseeker, one and a green, human, artificer, scout, one, two, so squire stats. This is a promising start. <laughs> Whenever an artifact enters the <laughs> battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. So this is kind of like a Explorer from Ixalan. Explorers whenever yeah. an artifact comes into play. So this is, can be straight card advantage. Every time any artifact comes into play, you have the potential to draw a land. And if you don't hit a land, you still have the potential to A, filter your, the top of your deck. Right? You can either choose to leave the card there or you put it in the graveyard, which is another source of value. I'm actually really surprised that they let this trigger for every artifact and didn't like gate it at once per turn. Yeah, I, I love this card. It, it just does so much. And you were just describing like, oh, do we really want to build a deck with a bunch of garbage artifacts? It's like, now I do. <laughs> if they're going to let me scry some of the garbage artifacts into the graveyard if I don't want them or whatever, uh, this just seems really interesting to me. I mean, it's the most interesting if you have artifact lands because it's only going to draw you lands. It doesn't draw you artifacts unless those lands are also artifacts. <laughs> so that would be nice to just like play a treasure vault and trigger this flip into whatever other artifact lands exist. Yeah. Or if you want to fill up your graveyard for some reason, you know, like you play like Mishra's Bobbles and things like that. And all of a sudden like Mishra's Bobble goes to your graveyard. This puts a card in your graveyard. Are you generating delirium? Are you generating, you know, some other type of graveyard effect? Yeah, that's true. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the home is. I, like, I don't even know what the deck would be, but like, this is the kind of card where like Sam Black 5-0'd with a Surinth Steel Seeker list. It's like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. That, that seems appropriate. It's super weird that they went for this card without a once per turn or the first time you do something or do all this only once or like just straight up play to your heart's content. It's weird. Not even when you cast, but also when you DTVs. Super nice. Do we have a way to just like loop artifacts over and over again, like, and just mill ourselves out? Um, the four mana bad enchantment and Malista. What's the name of the four mana white black bad enchantment? Oh, from Ice Age? <laughs> what? Enduring Renewal? <laughs> no. Enduring yes. Renewal? Come on. <laughs> that's, that's from Ice Age. Yeah. Shout out 1997. You asked me if there was a way to mill myself, and I replied, <laughs> yes. And during renewal, this plus Marista, you mill yourself. All right. Keep an eye on this one. Yes, agree totally. All right, next. Soul Partition. One to white instant. Exile target non-land permanent. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell cast by an opponent this way costs two more to cast. Fancy bounce spell. Well, it's a little better than a bounce spell. If you think of the one in a white destroy target creature or um, planeswalker effect that exists right now, you destroy their permanent and then they get to uh, 
clue. So I get to pay two to draw. In this case, I have to pay two to draw that a card. And it's always the card you killed. But they don't get to break up the cost between turns. Huh. It's also the fact this is an instant. So it's like it's like that, but it's like it for all these permanents. So if artifacts matter or something like that, or if you have a way to process their exiled card. Yeah, this is amazing with Strangler, and it can also target your stuff in a pinch. Exactly. It saves key permanents of yours if you want, and it doesn't cost more. Like, let's say you wanted to exile, I don't know, Demonic Pact. I'm just throwing a card out there. Uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> Anyway, it's a card that's really modular. I think it's cool. Uh, I think people just weren't thinking about how it interacts with an existing white removal spell that white-blue decks were really liking, and I think it, it lines up actually similar to it. So the, the card you're comparing it to is Fateful Absence, right? That's the one that gives them a clue. Yes. I've yeah. only ever seen that yeah. played in specifically white-blue control. Mono-white sideboard? Yep. Sideboard of mono-white, I think. I've seen mono-white play it. Okay. Like mid-range yeah, decks. Yeah, yeah, me too. Now I feel like most of those white decks are splashing black, so they have access to better removal, so you'd never play it in, in, if you had options, better options to dance point. But if you're playing like white-green or something. So are you seeing Soul Partition basically competing for that same slot as Fateful Absence, or does it have extra functionality for different styles of decks? I think it's actually really bad in control list because eventually they're going to get their card, unless you're specifically combining it with Sensor, which this makes like good, really good into the late game. Um, but I, I think that you, you have to have some use for it of, on your own permanence where you, where you care about that effect a little bit as well, or, or you have like wasteland strangler type of effects. And, and now you're using it as like, it can be a tempo positive, just straight removal spell. It can let your wasteland strangler turn into a two for one. It can blink your own demonic pact and like it, it can do all these things i mean y- you need to have a multiple uses i don't think just as a straight up removal spell is good enough i might agree with that like you need it to do something else you can just waste that strangler and be happy that's always a dream right all right super interesting reprint more tell us about diabolic intent diabolic intent one and a black for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast this spell sacrifice a creature Search a library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So Diabolic Tutor, but you have to sacrifice a creature's additional cost. Where do we like this? Do we like this? Well, one thing I don't like is that if you compare this to Eldritch Evolution, this is quite tempo negative. So if I'm specifically trying to search for creatures, I think that Diabolical Intent is like not the correct choice. Um, it's just like tax two mana onto the creature you're finding, whereas Eldritch Evolution is just a much more efficient way to do that. So I would rule that out. But if you were trying to tutor for something else... It's a... Yeah, Eldritch Evolution is so much cheaper. What if, what if you weren't playing green, though? Okay, what do you have in mind? It's worse than Eldritch Evolution if you're playing black-green, but adding green-green, especially in Pioneer, is not trivial. Okay, okay. The card I have seen compare rather than Eldritch is Court of Calling in Modern with Yogmoth. Like, you would never replace Eldritch Evolution, but what about Court of Calling? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but They're, They just function so differently. One thing we've learned is that sorcery speed tutoring is not good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's three mana tutors you can play now. Grim Tutor sees zero play whatsoever. 
tutors are just not that good these days. So I think you would specifically need to be a sacrifice deck where like the fact that this sacrifices something is actually good for you. And then it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, if you think of it like a deadly dispute and you just get to control the card you draw instead of getting the extra treasure. Yeah, so you're down tempo and you only drew one card. <laughs> but you can tutor for your deadly dispute, though, yeah. with the diabolic intent. I well, I mean, love it. it's, car- it's decks that matter where cards, specific cards matter. I think there should at least be a one or two of in the Citadel decks because Citadel's the only card that ever lets that deck win. Hmm. Okay. And, like, I don't know the mana of Greasefang. They don't have a lot of green. So, like, it seems like, to me, when I've watched them play, green, green seems hard to generate. But if that's not true, then I agree with Dan. Eldritch Evolution is so much more mana positive. Because I've seen people propose, like, oh, four of these in Greasefang, the deck's going to be broken. I saw uh, Doomwake saying that. I was just like, man, you have four one-drops in this whole list. I'm not convinced this is even going to find Greasefang on curve very often at all. No, I don't love it in Greasefang. I, I don't think this will see much play. In modern, it might in some particular stakes. And also as like a one-off or two-off instead of some like fringe main deck cards. Like it will take some of the flex slots, but I don't think it will be a mainstay or anything. Yeah, I mean, very powerful effects. Obviously, two-mana Demonic Tutor is banned in modern, banned in Legacy. But uh, I guess we'll see. All right, the next card up is not good, but it does combo. So tell us about Drafna, the founder of Latnam. Drafna, one and a blue legendary creature, human, artificer, advisor, 2-1. One and a blue return target artifact you control to its owner's hand. Three mana tap, copy target artifact spell you control. The copy becomes a token. So I don't really know what this card does other than just die to this dies to removal. Um... No, you have to combo with it. We have a identified a loop with Kinnon and, and uh, Mox Amber where we can generate infinite artifact enters the battlefield triggers to, uh, I guess, trigger the green guy over and over again. Sell me on your turn one key, on your turn two kill. Yeah, I promise a turn two kill and this is it. And it's, it's a kill in quotes. It's infinite life. Not a true kill. But imagine, we played our teething... Whatchamacallit, the cute little worm. Wormlet. Teething wormlet, thank you. So that's our turn one play. But what really happens, the action happens on turn two. So you need to play a Mox Amber first, then a Kinnon. This is the key interaction. With Kinnon, Mox Amber taps for two, and that's exactly enough to activate Drafna's bounce ability. So now you tap the Mox Amber, you play your Drafna. Now you're tapped out, you're done, right? There's no turn to a kill. Except that in this scenario, you have a second Mox Amber in your hand, which you immediately play. Yes. <laughs> Keep that one and start bouncing that. You trigger the Wormlet infinite times, you'll gain infinite life, and you will also grow the Wormlet by one. <laughs> so <laughs> you now have infinite life and a 3-2 Wormlet. So that is actually sort of plausible if you don't believe in that. I mean, we talked about that 1-2 green guy, right? The one that could mill your whole deck, the Serenth Steelseeker. I mean, that would also work with this combo that I'm describing. It doesn't have to happen on turn two, obviously. That's the, you don't need two Mox Ambers. You just need one Kinnon, one Amber, one Drafna, and some other piece. Yeah, we haven't really named a bad card yet except for just Drafna, which is, you know, a two-mana two-one isn't exactly. the end of the world. I mean, card, yeah. I mean, also the second ability, if it ever survives, is amazing. If it ever survives being huge... 
So yeah, so three tap copy an artifact spell, so you get a token copy of an artifact. I mean, that's okay. I mean, that's probably not why you play it. But I, I could imagine building the Cynic Kinnon Mox Drafna deck and just see what happens. I don't know if I would go so far as to play like um, like that fourth piece needs to actually win. And you could play Ultra of the Brood, for example. That would kill them, but that's a terrible card. So I don't know. Like, Well, you can copy it for three <laughs> mana. Like, I mean, it's an artifact. <laughs> that's the thing. It's an artifact, so it's sort of attractive. Yeah, I don't know how janky that deck should be, but this is at least one that we should sketch out, and I would expect it to 5-0 at some point, some version of it. All right, Drafna, noted. We have Awaken the Woods. What happens when, you're, when you secure the waste makes Triad Arbors? <laughs> Double green and an X sorcery create X-1-1 Triad Arbor tokens. This is a mythic. This card is very impressive. <laughs> It's worth it of being a mythic. I, like, it's weird to see a mythic with so little text. Yeah, that's true. So as far as creating tokens go, this is not special, right? I mean, what's, what's special about this card? Nothing. <laughs> this card, I wasn't even going to talk about it. <laughs> giving a million landfall when needed? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be some kind of landfall synergy. And, I mean, even if it's not specifically landfall, but something that pays you off for having extra lands. I mean, this is the first card of its kind that can just vomit lands into play at this rate. They're not real lands, but, you know, it's something at least. Uh, if you are thinking of, like, okay, I'm playing aggro landfall, you'll sometimes find scapeshift play to the top end of that deck. Maybe Awaken the Woods is better in that space because it's you know at least adds to the board in a way that scapeshift doesn't when you're not ready to kill them although scapeshift probably gives you many more landfall triggers it's a lot of mana for this to make four landfall triggers true yeah yeah so maybe it's nothing but it's an interesting unique effect that we haven't seen before and if you just own a bunch of uh dryad arbors you can like put them all on the table <laughs> Hide them among your forests so that the opponent doesn't know Exactly. Fool, <laughs> fool attackers. <laughs> like every other one, like weave them in with the same. That's the way. <laughs> the same backing on your <laughs> sleeves. Oh boy. All right. This next one has got you guys excited. Let's talk about the bitter reunion. Yeah. One in a red enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card if you do draw two cards. And then sacrifice that creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. I think specifically with fires, this is interesting because you want that kind of draw effect. The fires decks typically play Urian, so this is very good with that. And the haste ability matters when you start dumping all your shit into play. All of a sudden, you could probably just race your opponent. I think this card is amazing. What's amazing about it? So let's start with Enigmatic Incarnation, which hates needing blue on turn two in Pioneer, and this is a lot better. A lot better than what, though? I mean, are there any similar effects currently being played in Incarnation? Yeah, Omen of the Seas. For the Enigmatic list. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I love this card. I just love this card, and I'm ready for a Belcher play for a Dredge play in Modern to play this on turn two, and in turn three, th sacrifices that kill me. Like after a second cathartic reunion. I can see that in my lifespan happening. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so we agree that the sacrifice ability, sacrifice bitter reunion to give haste to your team, that's kind of just flavor text, right? 
Well, specifically, again, with fires, you have mana left over after you're like, Urian, Blink, whatever, you've got some other creature, and all of a sudden you just like, sack this, and then you just get in there. Sometimes giving haste to just one creature is like, good enough. Like, play a Urian, bounce a few stuff, sacrifice this, get in for five kill a Karn. It's needed. Are there other ways besides Urian to trigger this repeatedly? Like, blinking it somehow? Because it is kind of a, an intriguing draw effect. You can sack it, and then uh, it's actually, it's actually relatively cheap to sack it, and then play the like the green one green white three two, uh, return a permanent of two or less to play. Like much more mana efficient than putting Omen of the Seas naturally in your graveyard, mm, for instance. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of I mean that's pretty grindy, but it, it's something. All right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Super interesting. Super interesting. The fact it's not got its advantage while being a permanent. It's always super interesting. Okay, a little hidden gem there. That's Bitter Reunion. All right, we are on to... Is this it, Dan? Or is, is this what I'm looking at? Is this the Dan Schriever morning? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> we found it. Miss America. Okay, I'll let Dan read it to you guys. Here we go. We didn't even have to leave the two drops to find all the best cars in the set. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't have to. This is Scrapwork Mutt. Two mana, artifact creature, dog, 2-1. When Scrapwork Mutt enters the battlefield, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. It has Unearth for one and a red. So it's kind of like a color-shifted Rotting Rats, but it also draws a card. You know I love Rotting Rats. Anthony got me hooked on this with that Sultai Crab Vine deck. We play the Rotting Rats like just for the ability to discard Venge Vines. Sometimes you unearth the rats and it lets you cast grave crawlers, which Scrapwork Mutt, granted, does not do that because it's not a zombie. It takes you into red, which is like a whole different thing. So it's actually not a direct comparison between the mutt and the rats. However, the mutt being like more attractive than rats on the card advantage front does make you want to take a closer look at like red builds of any kind of Vengevine deck or Oxyphagonus deck or something like that. Okay. I, I mean, I believe. <laughs> it's a 2-1. I mean, it's, it's here to rumble. It's here to rumble. Look <laughs> at that dog. It like, is absolutely Suspiciously not dog looking at all. Team or crab vine. This is the deck. Okay, here it is. That, that's the future? Possible upgrade to rotting rats is what I'm hearing. If you don't want to play crab, you can play like uh, hollow vine, right? So just, just red green. Okay. I like that. So we got possible upgrades to Augurofolas and possible upgrades to Roaring Rats. Wow, what a set. I, I can't <laughs> imagine what's next. <laughs> what are we improving next, boys? This is the best car in the set, though. <laughs> I'm just, for me, this is the best car in the set. The Scrapwork Mutt. Dan's an easy man to please. First of all, it has to do something out of the graveyard, Correct. so they are just moving cardboard around the, the, the table. That is the easy one to please, so you're saying you're not going to be super happy in two cards from now. What you're implying is David is not going to fall in love and trip with the card in two cards from now, okay? <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, all right, but we're, we're not there yet. We got to talk about a soldier. <laughs> no, we're seeing a lot of two drops left. So, card in the middle. I want to take the one in the middle so, so David can okay. have his card. Harbin, Vanguard Aviator, the son of Ursa. 
One and a blue for a legendary creature, human soldier. So white and blue. Flying 3-2. Whenever you attack with five or more soldiers, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, flying until end of turn. So a pretty long flavor text for a through man two mana 3-2 flyer. Have we had a two mana 3-2 flyer before? I don't think so. And much less with upside. Like this is like the this is like a, a sick ass watch wolf, man. Like this is so good. Well, there's that Soldier Rattle Chains we were just talking about that comes in as a 3-2 and bounces your Thraven Inspector. I think that's actually better than this. But they're both soldiers. They both go in this blue-white soldier deck they're trying to push on us. Well, that other one is only a 3-2 if I played specifically Thraven Inspector on turn one. Yeah. <laughs> this could be my only... Cre this is like my... Uh, uh, Delver of Secrets here. I just play it on two and then yeah. protect it with counter magic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Delver of Secrets has been called. All right, sure, why not? So you're saying Harbin equals Delver? I don't think there's any support for this, but this this card is just seems so like just the base stats just seem ridiculous for some reason. I think you're you're thinking too much like a limited player, like a player who's been long in the tooth. They're like, oh, a three-two flying, that's better than previous versions of Two to flying, but it's still not quite good enough. <laughs> Which you pay three mana for, by exactly. the way. I guess it just dies to stomp, so it's probably just stone unplayable. <laughs> Eldrain rules all. <laughs> all right, David. Now, now we have a card for you. Okay, third path, iconoclast, blue and a red, human monk, two one. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. So it's a harder-to-cast young pyromancer, but it is significantly updated in two ways. It triggers off of all non-creature spells, and it makes artifact creatures instead of red elementals. I think this card is really good in Pioneer for sure, and is probably going to see play in Modern. So how good is Young Pyromancer? I mean, this is my question. How good is Young Pyromancer? Because it's not a staple. Young Pyromancer seems unplayable in modern. Is that a fair statement? When's the last yeah. time we... Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then in Pioneer, it is playable, but not good. I think you typically see it in like every other deck dump. A blue-red list plays Young Pyromancer in the main deck and probably is like a two-of in a blue-red sideboard, like relatively commonly does it matter if we can play eight young pyromancers like is this a style of deck that is suddenly going to be better than it was with just the original young pyromancer well i think the fact that this triggers off of artifacts and enchantments and planeswalkers is what interests me okay like again in this hypothetical fires list that gets to play you know various red and you know all these value enchantments and stuff we don't just have to play instants anymore, which suck in Fire's List. This card is actually good in a Fire's List. Yeah. This into Fable, into Fire's Plus something. Yeah. Uh, this is good, again, with Urian. It creates blocker. Or excuse me. Um, this is good with uh, Narset. It creates blockers for Narset. Like, Narset, yeah. if this in play, creates another blocker. In Modern, I mean, it triggers off of Bobble. Yeah, the difference in Bobble is huge. Mox Amber. Do we have enough decent young Pyromancers to play of one mind, which is a card I always wanted to play? Yeah, I think we do. Let's do it. Come on, David. Let's play one mind. Let's play Iset one mind. I'm in. Dan's Dan's being a party pooper. No, I'm party just asking. Pooper. I mean, it's, it's worth asking whether 
with a Ricard that is not currently seeing play as a four of in any deck, namely Young PZ, is going to be better when we're playing more than that. But yeah, maybe of one mind is that missing piece. But this is this is better than Young Pyromancer. You agree this is better than Young Pyromancer if you can cast it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, is it's strictly better, right? Well, okay, so it, it allows you to build a, a different style of deck with more diverse card types. I think the, the area where it's actually much better than anything else is if you specifically want artifacts, like if you're actually trying to generate artifact tokens, this is one of the best cards to do that. Yeah. It allows every artifact you cast to generate a second artifact. Is this insane that Ursa deck, like these cheap artifacts, Ursa, tap all your soldiers for mana, make dumb stuff? You tell me, man, that sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> also, the, what, what Dan just described as this expanding your horizons fits perfectly with the flavor text. Like, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, I merely propose expanding our toolbox. It's like the perfect comparison to Young Pyro. Huh. <laughs> okay. We're thinking in Young Pyro ways when we should be thinking about other ways. All right, we're going to try to get through the two drops, and there's still still a few more interesting ones to go. <laughs> there's a ton <laughs> a left. Of, so good. I think the we only should good. stop here. We have at least five more relevant two drops. we got to finish the two drops. I mean, we'll just power through them. We'll power through. So I'm going to be the one to, to, say, to say ahead what happened. These guys, these two old guys over on me said, we can go through all of these cars in two hours. And I was like, are you sure about that? We're on the two drops by the hour 10 mark. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I mean, nothing beyond two minutes is going to be playable from this set. So this is the important Yeah, we'll episode. just go mosey through the <laughs> exactly. five drops. It'll be sweet. Yeah, problem is the three drops. No, they, they're bad. They're bad. Five drops are the usual. There aren't that many playable three drops. Spoiler alert for people listening <laughs> to the next pod. <laughs> <laughs> there are not that many three drops. All right. Th- this is a good episode. And, and to prove it, I'm going to tell you about Evangel of Synthesis. Blue Black. Of what? Synthesis. Synthesizer? Synthesis. Is it black? This man is a beast. Evangel of Synthesis. Synthesis. <laughs> Blue black creature, Phyrexian, human cleric, 2 3. When Evangel of Synthesis enters the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. As long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn, Evangel gets plus one plus zero and has menace. What do we like about this? I think a two mana 2 3 that loots is already a card I'm interested in playing. And the fact that this becomes a 3 3, like, borderline unblockable seems awesome like this on two ledger shredder on three whatever the cantrip of your choice pump my shredder attack with this and then like i have treasure cruise that's now like super cheap that just seems like insane to me and i'm just like filling my graveyard you have to like deal with my graveyard you have to deal with my cheap threats i'm playing fatal push I mean, Oligans, so I have seen the explain Rafin's informant, and this is just Rafin's informant, but good, right? I thought just, I was the highest person on Rafin's informant was full. I just said straight up, this is like a two mana 3-2 that loots. That's already awesome. And that card is really good. This is like that. Maybe there's even like Esper Greasefang again, because this is just, again, a free way to loot. I agree. This mm. is so much better. I don't know if it's good enough to take you to Esper, but it's a great card. Okay. Yeah, I'm sold. I'm making a blue-black deck at least with this and Ledger Shutter and Treasure Cruise. That just seems so gorgeous. I agree that it's a bait to go deep into the draw two synergies. You just have that as flavor text when you also have a Ledger Shredder, right? 
Like you don't, yeah, you, exactly. you never go deep on it. It's just flavor text. That's it's nice upside from time to time. It's incidental upside. And like Treasure Cruise is already a good card you want to play if you're putting stuff in your graveyard. It's not like a card I'm playing to trigger Evangel. I'm interested in playing blue sorcery, draw three. And so it <laughs> happens to every once in a while give menace to this, which is fun. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, nice little card. Cleric as well, if that matters to anybody. All right, next up, Blade Whip Transmogrant Artifact Creature Zombie. It's two to cast. It's a 3-1. Blade Whip Transmogrant can't block. Activated ability for Black Black, return Blade Whip Transmogrant from the graveyard to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter. So it will be a 4-2 when you bring it back. This ability costs four less to activate if an opponent controls four or more non-basic lands. So we're in the class of Scrap Heap Scrounger type cards, right? It's. I think it's the best Scrap Heap we have ever seen, and I don't think it's insane to claim that. Just to clarify, you're envisioning that the... Activated ability will always cost two. I mean, we're talking about Pioneer. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. And the opponent can somewhat control that. So that, just be aware of that, that it may not cost two to bring this back. But if it does cost two... Yeah, against red-black, it will... Yeah, against red-black, it will always cost two. Against mono-green or mono-white, uh, perhaps it won't. Although they're, both of those decks actually do play a lot of non-basic lands. But probably not enough to have four most of the time. There's two upgrades over Scrap Heap Scrounger. One is that extra point of power, which is very nice, but I actually think that the zombie type line is a nice upgrade as well. Like that, that for me makes me want to look at zombies again in a way that most other zombies don't make me want to look at zombies. <laughs> so I'm at least intrigued for in that respect. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dan. I had kind of missed that type line, but there is, there is uh, the one black 1-1 uh, one, one zombie that gets plus one plus one every time a zombie comes into play. And that is probably the best one-drop aggro card in the whole format. It just hasn't had enough support. Uh, you know, the equivalent version in humans is one of the reasons why humans had a brief moment in modern. Um, that card, if it got enough reasonable zombies around it that are aggro, which this is, then that starts to be very threatening. Yeah. Also, the art is insanely terrifying. Like, what the hell is that and why is it a zombie? <laughs> that has like no living flesh on it. Yeah, it kind of looks like the uh who's the guy who did the all the alien designs? The German dude. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but I get your point. So below that, we have what happens if you take school clamp and you make it almost balanced, just a tad bar. Transmogrant's crown. Two mana artifact equipment, equipped creature gets plus two plus O. Whenever it dies, draw a card, equip for two or a black mana. This is not Skullclamp. <laughs> Who said this? <laughs> Where did this comparison come from? This is what Skullclamp was originally going to be, and then they switched it to plus one, minus one. This is like a throwback to the, what Skullclamp was the entire time they were designing it. It was plus two, plus zero? Oh? No, it was plus one, plus so, and it felt too good, so they nerfed it into plus one, minus one. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's what it was. And then the second card just was a typo on Skullclamp. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I, you know, sometimes stuff happens. Rancor was supposed to go two mana as well. <laughs> yeah, you just make an edit after you've done all your work. Why would you even worry about it? Yeah, I think yeah. this card is really good. I, I think this card is legitimately very good. This is probably like a top five card in Pioneer for me uh, from this set. Well, just to be clear, there, there's no shenanigans happening, right? You're paying the full rate. You're going to cast it for two. You're going to equip it for a black. 
Yes. I don't think it's cool. Or for free if I have the blue uh, Planeswalker in play that makes it free to equip. Gosh, I mean, when was the last time there was a constructed playable equipment? It's it's been for forever. <laughs> it's been it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're right. Ah, you can play the uh, red one mana dude in Pioneer, and this equips for free to him. Uh, it's one one first strike haste. Oh yeah, fervent champion. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. And are you looking to like play creatures that sacrifice themselves, or are you just going to say, no, you no. opponent, you have to kill my stuff and give me a card? And like black has multiple one mana two ones that come back very easily, or two mana three ones. We just uh, talked about one. And now instead of like you, okay, I play my shieldred, I'm safe. It's like, no, no, I give plus two plus O to my three power creature. I attack you for five. You have to block. I draw a card. And then I just crew up my next crappy little creature, and you have to kill that. I draw a card again. I crew up my next crappy little creature. It's just so efficient. Like, maybe it's more of a cyborg card against, like, mid-range and control decks, but, like, how do they beat this? It comes down underneath everything that they do, and then it's just, like, all your creatures cycle when they die. Hmm. Okay. Top five for Pioneer seems ambitious, but I see what you're saying. <laughs> Activate my Mutavolt. Equip this. Attack. <laughs> like, okay, block with my Bone Crusher. I draw a card. <laughs> Like, is this game over? Yeah, it is. Good good games. I'm extending my right hand. Get the fuck off the table. <laughs> I It might be good in that case. The plus two plus oh, it's super aggressive. Maybe it's good and I'm underestimating it. Hmm. Get good, scrubs. <laughs> I'm crewing all my creatures and turning them sideways. Yeah, yeah, you're going for the you're going for the going ham. Yeah. It's it's, it's it, come on. Let's go. <laughs> come on. All right, we're getting near the end of our two drops. The Stone Brain. The Stone Brain, two mana. Legendary artifact, two mana tap. Exile the Stone Brain. Choose a card name. Search target opponent's graveyard hand and library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate only as a sorcery. So it's a colorless version of a existing three mana effect. Unmortigo. Yeah. It's exactly Unmortigo, but... For four mana, splitting to two cost in colorless. So Karn board? So Karn board in every format, especially Pioneer, because you play this and get rid of your opponent's Nixos. Yeah, the Karn board is going to get more and more impressive with this set, with the um, the Disenchant and this, and all of the expensive stuff yeah. <laughs> that we're going to get to in the next episode. Yeah, so nothing to say here. This is uh, super boring. Uh, stuff that just gets added to the Karn board is the lowest form of playable on planet Earth. Correct. Correct. Um, let's move on to something that is only playable because of Bard class. <laughs> Much classier. <laughs> exactly. Talking about Hajar, loyal bodyguard, red, green, legendary creature. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Maximum cost reduction on Bard class. It is a 3-3... Three, three, all, all the bar class. It's a 3-3 three, three human soldier. That's weird. I thought that soldiers were in blue-white, but I guess here they are in red-green. Sacrifice, Hajar, loyal bodyguard, legendary creatures you control, get plus one plus zero, and gain indestructible until end of turn. Whatever. It's a 3-3 three, three for bar class. I think that for the pioneer version of the deck, um, it is important for the draws that you don't just have a bar class in your hand. You, you want those draws to not be a complete embarrassment. And being a 3-3 three, three for 2, a watch wolf, as David would say, is okay. It's not a complete embarrassment. So for that reason alone, I think Hajar is, you know, an important, not important. He's a, a marginal upgrade to the Bard class style of deck. 
Also, like, granting indestructible to all your legends, if you, like, semi-go off with bar class, don't quite kill them, and then, like, a sweeper's actually good, That that's going to come up once in a blue moon. It's not just flavor text, so it, it's it's better than nothing. Yeah. All right, where are we going to next? So, we have levitating stat- statue, two mana artifact flying. Super weird to see flying on a non-creature just right there. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on the statue. Pay two mana, it becomes a 1-1 construct artifact until end of turn. Is this the best Mithralize we have ever seen? No, it costs two to cast, two to activate, so it's like the worst Mithralized. (laughs) (laughs) It flies, though. It flies. It flies. I mean, it gets huge, it has evasion, it's an artifact, but it's just too much to activate. I feel like obligated to give it a brief nod because myth realized is sweet, but I don't think this card does it. Also, it just gets pee hold. Like, come on. Yeah. How'd this card sneak through here? We have so many ways to kill artifacts now. Like it's yeah, just it's super not easy. even funny. We just talked about a one man artifact that does it for a green and gives me two life. It's it doesn't even seem fair. All right. Next up recommission one in a white sorcery return target artifact or creature card. With mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. If a creature enters the battlefield this way, it enters with an additional plus one plus one counter. So two mana on Earth, but it also gets artifacts, and your creature will get a small boost. Yeah, it seems pretty sweet. I don't hate this card. Yeah, I don't hate it either. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I don't know like what I want to do with it, but this is like a good rate. It's two mana for a three mana creature and then it also boosts it so you're getting like three and a quarter mana creature or something we're trying to come up with a way to like make the plus one plus one counter like really something special like an extra counter on your walking ballista but but that's banned the best i could come up with was like a growth chamber guardian or one of the, one of the adapt creatures that if it has a plus one plus one counter on it you can... oh the 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 two one that draws uh cards equal to its power and then you discard two which one is that? It has like uh, five blue, blue. Exile it from your graveyard. It comes into play as a four, four. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But its yeah. base rate is two and a blue for like two, a Naga two, or a two, one. champion. What is that called? Yeah, so then it's two, two mana, three, two, draw three, discard two. That's actually insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. What the heck is that card called? I don't hate that. In the membrane. Played that card a million times. We all know this. We all, we all know the snakey boy we're talking about. Nobody knows it's snake. Battle of, it's Battle a of Naga, wits. it's not a snake. <laughs> Master of Wits? Something of Wits. Champion of Wits. Champion of Wits, let's go! Thank you. <laughs> okay, next up, Yoshian Dissidents. Green-white, human artificer, 1-1. One, one. That's not good. <laughs> this ability had better be great. <laughs> Whenever an artifact enters a battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. It is pretty great. Yeah? Yeah, I really like you can target with that ability. Yeah. So in modern, you can target, you know, obviously we know the, the engine that's happening there, but that's that's very attractive. I just don't like playing these cards that ask you to fill your deck with artifacts, but are not themselves artifacts. And I know that that applies to a bunch of the cards we've already described, like the, the Toothing Worm and the one two that explorers for artifacts this now i mean you just have to like pick a balance and i think when when you've done all that you find you only have room for like maybe eight maybe ten non-artifact cards 
is this the best one? I'm not sure. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be an artifact cast, which is cool. Like, you know, Gilded Goose triggers it or something like that. Yeah, okay. That's something. That's a good point. All right, last two drop. Obliterating Bolt. One in a red sorcery. Obliterating Bolt deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. So just Lava Coil, but it can hit planeswalkers. I think it's huge. Yeah, Lava Coil is a little bit of play in the main deck and, and is a relatively common cyborg card. Um, so yeah, this is just a better version. There's no reason to play Lava Coil ever again. I agree. Like this is like a like the strictly better upgrade for literally free, and maybe it will see like a lot more main deck play. Yeah, it could be. I have no idea who Pedro is, but good on you, Pedro. Good on you. Why would someone we call Pedro? It's literally called Bat. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's it for the two drops. For finally, after an hour 30. Exactly. <laughs> we went for the one drops, two drops, because we only need one land. Good job, everybody. I'm proud of us. I mean, I gotta say, guys, uh, I wasn't that high on this set just after reading all the mythics, but after going through all these random two drops and one drops, I feel like there's a lot of tools here. I think there's a lot of small, tiny upgrades for a few modern decks and a lot of pioneer decks that just aren't particularly showy, but super interesting in how they play. Be it the Zephyr Sentinel, be it the Call for the Throne instead of Black Removal, be it Audacity for Bogles, or like Haywire and Might for Hammer. Like it's small tiny upgrades that change the play pattern significantly enough for it to remain interesting without it feeling overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And for the Brewers, I mean, draft a combo decks. You can <laughs> blow some tickets on that. That's what I'll be doing <laughs> while we figure out the actual playable decks. <laughs> All right, so we will leave that there. Our next episode will feature the rest of the mana costs, and we'll have about 50% as many playable cards. <laughs> so the next episode is going to go from 3CMC up to... 10, I think, is the top we have. <laughs> 10 CMC, yeah, exactly. 10 CMC or 6X. Exactly. We even have a playable 7. So, everything will be fine. All right, looking forward to it. We even have a playable 8, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. And hope to catch you up next time. All right, take care, gentlemen. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in next time for part two of our Brewer's Guide to the Brothers War. And if you are in the U.S., get out there on election day and cast your vote. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.